I listened to Sandy Wilson this week tell the story of a woman by the name of Florence May Chadwick. Uh, I don't know if any of you are, are swimmers. Uh, Florence May Chadwick was, by any stretch, an incredible uh, swimmer, an amazing woman. Uh, she was the first person to swim across the English Channel both ways. And she set a record coming and going. Uh, but having accomplished that, she set her sights on a different uh, challenge. This time, she wanted to uh, swim the strait between Catalina Island and uh, the coast of California. It's a grueling 40-kilometer stretch of ocean that is marked by sharks. It is marked by uh, unpredictable weather. And, um, and yet, she set her sights on doing that. She set out. And uh, as expected, she swam strong. Fifteen hours, though, into her, uh, into her crossing, uh, an amazing 15 hours when you think of what that would involve in, in, in the ocean, uh, swimming away, she was uh, hit by deep, thick fog. Now, she is, uh, although she is swimming alone, she is flanked on either side by two small boats. Her mother's in one of them. Uh, it's, this, this is in 1952, so it's not like they've got, uh, they've got their phones and their GPS. And, and, uh, uh, and so, but they have people alongside to encourage. At the 15-hour mark, she turns to her mother and says, I, I don't think I can do it. She's covered in fog, can't see any way forward, uh, and is worn out, feeling hopeless. Her mother encourages her to press on. She swims for another hour. At that point, the fog hasn't lifted, thick, can't see where they're going. It feels hopeless. She taps out and says, please have them get me, get, get me into the boat. I can't go on any farther. As she gets into the boat, she starts to dry off, warm up, and very soon later, she realizes she was just one mile from the ocean, from, from the, the, uh, the shore. Couldn't see where she was going, surrounded by fog, felt like it was another 15 hours away, and yet probably within a half an hour, she continued on, she would have made the crossing. For me, that crossing of Catalina, uh, of the C Catalina Channel, is a little bit uh, of a warning of some of the dangers of the Christian life and some of the, the dangers that our passage this morning addresses. Uh, one of those dangers, obviously, is when you are trying to get somewhere and move forward, if you're feeling in a fog, if there is no clarity or direction or uh, a sense of vision for, for what God is leading you towards, very difficult to make progress. It's, it's very difficult to, to keep going on, uh, to keep pressing forward uh, if there is a sense of, uh, of just fog and uncertainty about, uh, uh, about the, 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 where you're headed. The second warning is just not to give up before you've arrived. And so often there are, people will approach the Christian life, but do so with half measures. There is a sense of interest, curiosity, uh, a desire to make a beginning of things, but uh, often because they will approach the, 
the Christian life with half measures, there is that, uh, th- there is that temptation to tap out part way when things get difficult and when uh, the hard stresses settle, settle in. Those are a couple of the dangers that our passage this morning addresses. It, it speaks to the endurance of the Christian life when things are tough. And uh, it's, it's an encouragement that God isn't finished with us yet, that there is still more for wherever you are in your uh, walk with Christ, there is still more that we can lay hold of. Um, and it, it's a call to endurance. And it, it gives us that call through three, pic- through three pictures. Uh, there's an athlete, an imitator, and a citizen of heaven. And we'll look at those in turn. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We've been working through this letter in a series called Inextinguishable Joy, and want to encourage you to follow along as I read uh, from verses 12 through to 21. Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God. I said we would look at three pictures of this call to endurance, and the first of those is the athlete. Because as an athlete, a little bit like a long-distance swimmer like Florence May Chadwick, we're we're called to press toward the goal of Jesus' calling. Some people make a good start, and yet they, they get stuck. They get stuck along the way. Maybe they get into neutral. Some it could be a hurt. It could be a fall uh, in sin. It could be uh, a number of things. But people will go along in the Christian life, and they will find themselves stagnating a place where they're not moving forward anymore. There's no progress. There's no movement. But as an athlete, we're called to press toward the goal of Jesus' calling. If you've been with us from the beginning of this letter, then verse 12 may take you by surprise. (coughs) Because what we've seen in the Apostle Paul's life is he seems to face some of the toughest problems and challenges that we face in our lives but he does them with a sense of power and grace that is unusual. It's it's remarkable. We've seen him face joy, display joy in the face of suffering. 
We have seen him show grace in the face of rivalry. We've seen him show hope in the face of death. And he just seems to float above the, the problems that often bring us down. And so having seen all that, we're surprised when we get to verse 12 when he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. There's that sense in which he recognizes there's still more. I still have a way to go. He's recognized there's more blessing to the Christian life. In verse 13, he says that he's straining forward to what lies ahead. There's an athlete sense of determination about him. He has a sense of, of, of focus towards the goal line. And in fact, in verse 14, he, he's, he talks of that goal. I press on toward the goal. He, he has that sense of, of, of hope and determination and a desire to move forward, to deal with the obstacles in his life that would keep him from progress, to deal with the sin in his life that would still keep him from progress. He didn't see the Christian life just as inspiration to lift you up and carry you through another day. It was, it, it, the intention was to press forward and to lay hold of something that God had purposed for his life. And so he presses forward towards that goal. He gives us a little insight in how he does that in verse 13. There he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. The Apostle Paul's life was something that could have gotten in the way. Uh, In Romans chapter 7, for instance, he tells us about his ongoing struggle with sin. He was someone who faced the daily realities of uh, his own sin nature and the, the, the challenges that that brought. He also talks in many of his letters about the violent persecution of the church that he was responsible for. And when you think about some of the things in Paul's past, you might think kind of things like that could disqualify a person. Things like that in someone's past could make you think, maybe I should just kind of sit on the sidelines of this Christian life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my past. Some people could put themselves in the penalty box of of the Christian life and just live like that, thinking "That's, that's all that I can do. And yet, He didn't do that. He said, that's behind me now. There are sins in my life. Yes, I have confessed them to God. I have repented of them and I've turned from them. And now I choose, like God, not to remember them anymore. To put them behind me and so I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm choosing not to go there again. And that enables me to press forward, to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of my life for. And so I just want to pause there for a minute and say, I wonder if there's anything in your life, anything in your past that's keeping you from pressing forward. Is there a sin that you need to confess and put behind you? And then having confessed and put behind you, leave in the past. Choose not to remember. Is there a failure you need to file in the history books and say, that's who I was, but that's not who I am. And that's not who I will be. Is there a scar that you need to stop dwelling on? Maybe a deep, painful hurt, but it's a deep, painful hurt from your past and you will not let it define your future. We forget what is behind us so that we can lay hold of what is ahead of us. 
Athletes forget about yesterday's race and they press forward to the goal of Jesus' calling. Although that's true, athletes also still run out of steam if they don't remember why it is that they run. So Paul helps us remember what motivated his continued striving. In verse 12, he says, it's because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Again and again, the, the message of the Bible is not that we're Florence May Chadwick trying to swim across to the other side with the hopes that if we finally get there, God will receive us. God will accept us. That finally he'll forgive us. No, he says, it is because Christ has made me his own. I have already received the, all, all that, that the, the forgiveness and the salvation and the goodness of God through faith in Christ. And that's what fuels my, my, my pursuit. That's what moves and motivates my seeking of uh, of that prize. And then in verse 14, he's, he's focused on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is not the prize of hoping that God will forgive me, hoping that God will save me. No, it's, the, it's, it's all of the glories of heaven that are before him that stir his sense of motivation, stir his sense of longing. I will be with Christ. I will see him face to face. And when I see him face to face, I want, to, I want to, to lay hold of the fullness of all that he has for my life. In verse 16, Paul makes an interesting statement here. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Again, what we have attained is in the past. Through faith in Christ, Paul lay hold, laid hold of all of the promises of the gospel. All of the goodness of God poured out in his life because of Jesus. He says, I've already attained all that. Now, I'm going to live in accordance with that. I'm going to live in response to that. And that was what fueled his his desire to press on, to move forward. A recognition of all that God had accomplished in his life because of Jesus Christ. Many runners will train in desperation for what they might receive if they win. They'll they'll strive in their life, and many people will strive in the Christian life, hoping to somehow, if they can finally get it right, that God will love them. And Paul said, "That's, that's that's not Christianity. That's not how we run the race. We have already attained something through faith in Christ. And that, for Paul, that was his steroid in the race. It was his energy drink. It was a thing that, that motivated and, and, and fueled all the, the running. And so I want to pause and ask, are you pressing forward in the Christian life? Is there anyone, if someone were to examine your life, would they see anything about the way that you live out your faith and, and pursue God that would, could even vaguely be described as athletic? <laughs> that, that they could see a sense of pursuit of a goal. Uh, not just the goals of this world, but that goal, the prize, the heavenly calling, the thing for which Jesus has called us for, the thing for which he made us his own. Is there a sense of striving for that, a pursuit of that? People will train for what they hope to receive. Paul trained for what he had received. So we endure in the Christian life like an athlete. 
We also endure in the Christian life like an imitator. As an imitator, we're called to have the humility to follow other godly Christians. And we're reminded here that Christianity is not supposed to be a do-it-yourself adventure. We don't get extra marks for being novel or innovative or original in living the Christian life or certainly not in understanding the, the, the truths of the Christian life. We're not supposed to reinvent the Christian wheel. As imitators, we're called to have the humility to uh, follow the godly example of other Christians. Where I get this from is in verse 17, where Paul commands the Philippians to join in imitating me. And before we get into that verse, it's important for us to back up and recognize how difficult this is for many of us in this room. Uh, and let, in case you didn't know this already or feel this already, Westerners are not particularly great at imitation. It's kind of a bad word. We're not, we're not into following in, in, in Canada or North America. We're into leading, innovating. We, we celebrate the leaders, the, the innovators. Uh, I'll give you uh, some, some, some quotes here. American author Herman Melville, he gives a picture of this mentality. He said, it's better to fail in originality than to succeed in imitation. Again, imitation, following other people, bad. Going out, doing it on your own, falling on your face, that's good. That's kind of the, the American dream. Or English writer Samuel Johnson, he wrote, no man was ever great by imitation. Got to cut your own path. Got to do it yourself. Or who could forget the great philosopher Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. And there's that sense. We, we admire people like that. We, we hold people like that up in our culture. But it's important to recognize not everybody in the world thinks that way. In fact, that attitude by, from many in the world is seen as proud and independent and individualistic. Compare, for instance, Sinatra with Confucius on this point. Confucius said, by three methods we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. Third, by experience, which is bitterest. Now, Canadians look at that and think, well, we're too busy to reflect, so there's nothing noble going on. We're too proud to, we're, we're too proud to imitate anyone else, so, so all that we're left with is to learn all of our lessons by bitter example, by falling on our face, refusing to look around, ask for help, and follow someone else's example, and we end up, yeah, we learn some things. Yeah, we learn what not to do. We learn through failure. We learn through bitter mistakes. And the Bible says there's a different way. You don't have to reinvent the Christian wheel. Verse 17, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. He felt that people could learn from his example. I hope that people can learn from my example, but as I've shared with you already, I think that there are dozens and dozens of people in this church from whose example you can learn. You, you don't have to reinvent the Christian wheel. You can learn from the godly, godly example of people who have, who have gone a few steps ahead of us. When Paul said, imitate me, it wasn't like he was just thinking like he'd got it all figured out, that he was, he was the, the, 
the, the one, he would say in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I've got my eyes on him, and so you, could, you can follow me, you can, you can look at me, and it, it, but it was just, it was that sense that there would be this chain of people that, that you don't make it up as you go along, you don't have to cut your own path through the forest, you just looked around you for godly examples, people that you can learn from. In verse 17, he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And I think this is a huge weakness in the North American church. Too proud to follow other people's examples. Too independent to ask other Christians, hey, how do you do that? I, th- I think you've got, you know, I- I'm struggling in this area. I kind of need some help in this area. And you, th- you seem to, to have got, got something figured out there. Can I learn from you? Can I ask you some questions? We, we, we just struggle to do that in our culture. Too individualistic to admit that we even need the help. And so we project an image to the people around, me, around us. Hey, I got it all figured out. And inside we're dying thinking, boy, if anybody knew what was really going on in my heart, they'd probably kick me out. We're, we're filled with, with, with that kind of thinking and the Bible tries to break it down. Tries to humble us that we could ask for help, admit that we don't have it all together, look to other people who have gone before us and learn from them. At Grace, the way that you do that is not by sitting in these rows on Sunday morning. You have no idea what's going on in the life of the person sitting down the row from you, right? Or, or around you. you. You just don't. The way that we learn from each other at Grace is we get involved in small groups. Our, our life groups are a place where if you come with a learner's heart, ready to learn from the scriptures, but also to learn from others in the family of God, we grow and we learn from each other. You, you, you grow by asking questions, by having the humility to, to be a learner and to learn from people around you. And the, the, the challenge and the warning of this passage is that if you don't do that, often the result is that we stagnate and tread water. So the Bible urges us to follow the example of godly Christians. But if we don't do that, the, the, the warning is we're sum- surrounded by so many negative examples that we will inevitably follow uh, in those same footsteps. So Paul will warn in verses 18 and 19 about the unhealthy role models that we face. He talks of many in verse 18 who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He mentions them with tears here because likely they are professing believers. They're not people that are so far away from God that they don't, just don't know anything. They are people who have made, make pretenses of being believers, but they seem to be, at the same time, enemies of the cross of Christ. He says that he's often told the Philippians about them, so they're probably not from the Philippian church, but likely visiting teachers, itinerant preachers, those who would come and influence them and then move on, but having visited them, they do damage in the teaching that they spread among them. You might think, how could professing Christians and even teachers be enemies of the cross of Christ? As soon as people heard them, and they, they don't... They, they would, you would think, 
Kick them out. Get rid of them. Why would, they, why would anyone listen to someone who's an enemy of the cross of Christ? And the, if, if they were to announce, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an enemy of Christ, and then they wouldn't get much of a hearing. The problem is that these teachers would come in and they would give the, all the, uh, the appearance of being earnest followers of his. They would give Christian talks. They would share nice thoughts. Those thoughts and those teachings, however, just would be absent of the cross of Christ. Either the cross of salvation, the message that there's nothing that we can do to be saved before a holy God, sinners as we are, but through the cross, because of what Jesus did at the cross, we can receive forgiveness. Either they cut the cross of salvation out of their message, didn't talk about it, or they would cut the cross of suffering out of their message. And we've seen this all through Paul's letter in the Philippians so far. That the call to follow Christ involves a call to take up our cross. To follow in a way of, in a way of suffering when at those points where it would be so much easier to compromise. It would be so much easier just to take what we know and believe and hold to be true and just put it aside a little bit because it's kind of inconvenient on this particular issue. And these people came in, influential, uh, and, and can still have influence in our lives. They don't necessarily seem like enemies of Jesus, just never seem to get to the cross, just never seem to, to lift up Jesus as the way of salvation or Jesus' Jesus's life as a life that is also marked by suffering. So we're warned of those kinds of uh, e- examples. Then in verse 19, Paul says of these same uh, influencers and teachers, he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Now, when he says that their God is their belly, it doesn't just mean that they like buffets and that they, they are constantly eating. It's not so much talking specifically about food, just that these people are ruled by their appetites for whatever those appetites might be for. When he talks about uh, these people, there's a sense that they, they talk about the Bible. They do, but they're... Real worship, it seems to be directed not towards the Christ of the Bible, but towards their comfort, towards their indulgence. That seems to be their God. It also says that they glory in their shame in the sense that they're proud about things that should cause them embarrassment. Finally, he says they have their mind set on earthly things. Notice he doesn't say they have their mind set on really evil, wicked things. It's not so much that their minds are always conjuring up evil wickedness. It's just that their minds are always focused on this world. Their their minds are never turning to the things of Christ. Their minds are never turning to the kingdom of heaven. Their minds are just seem to dwell down in the stuff of this world and never get lifted up from there. And he said, you you don't have to be fixated on evil to become an enemy of the cross of Christ. You can just be fixated on the things of this world and cut out the cross 
And in so doing, even if you try to do it in the name of Christianity, even if you look for Bible verses to try and support that, it is not the way of the cross. It is not the cross of salvation. So the world is filled with people like Paul describes in verses 18 18 to 19, and he warns their end is destruction. And that's why we need the humility to follow godly examples of believers who have gone before us. We need help and we need to look to people and get close to people so that we can receive that help. Because the the tendency, if we're not following the example of other godly believers, we will, because we're swimming in a current that is heading uh, in a way, in, in a different direction, we can't help but be swept up and pulled along by that current ourselves. So he said that God is not finished with us yet. We, we've said he calls us to press toward the goal of Jesus' calling, like athletes. We've said that we need the humility to follow godly Christians as imitators. And finally, the challenge is to make our allegiance clear as citizens of heaven. Because sometimes people struggle to move forward because they really haven't put a line in the sand. They haven't really made it clear whether they're in or they're out. They're kind of trying to straddle the fence between the world and, uh, and the life that Christ calls us to. And sooner or later, that straddling of the fence leads to obstacles that will bog us down and keep us from moving forward. So as a citizen of heaven, we're called to make our allegiance clear. Now, In verse 20, Paul invokes powerful image for the Philippians. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship was a big deal to the, to the church in Philippi because unlike many places in the Roman Empire, if you were a citizen of Philippi, that automatically gained you the status of Roman citizenship. Philippi became kind of an outpost of Rome in Macedonia. And so the people that had citizenship in Philippi had special privileges. They had special tax privileges they were, uh, had something a little special going on. And it didn't matter whether they had ever actually gone to Rome or they had family or all that, nothing related to that. Just being a citizen of this city automatically gained you privileges of another. And Paul takes that image and said, you've, you haven't just become citizens of Rome, you're citizens of heaven if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And as a citizen of heaven, you share in those values. You share in those privileges. You, share, you become an ambassador of that kingdom, uh, though you live in this world. It also means we have a new leader. Roman emperors were frequently deified. They were lifted up. They would have inscriptions that would say, Savior of the world. And so Paul deliberately picks up on that and says in verse 20, Our Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's been a shift in our allegiance. We have a new leader. We're under new management. There is a new direction to our life. He's the one we've put our hope in. And that hope is spelled out in part in verse 21. It's not just the hope of avoiding all this world's problems. It's not just the hope of getting that thing that we really, really, really want. It is the hope of heaven itself. It's a hope that Jesus will transform our bodies into uh, eternal bodies like his own. It's a hope that Jesus will welcome us into a better place. 
that word for me, uh, this sense of citizenship is one that I learned probably earlier than many people. I learned the word citizenship every time we crossed the border into the United States. Because when we got to the border, my dad would roll down the window and the agent would, the border agent would ask all of us that are in the room, all of us in the car, what's your citizenship? My dad, Canadian. My sister, Canadian. I would answer Canadian. And my mother would always answer Swedish. And I just groaned inside every time my mother said that because I knew as soon as she said that, the Border Patrol agent would say, just pull over to the side here, sir. And my mother would have to go into that little office and she would be asked all of these questions. Uh, and it would delay our trip, so it kind of annoyed me. As a little boy, I, would just, I wanted to get on with things. And I saw all those other cars going, just say that you're a Canadian, or just, you know, why, are you not a, why aren't you a Canadian citizen? And it was that sense. Well, my mother was very proud to be Swedish. So proud that she spent 40 years in this country and didn't feel particularly compelled to take out Canadian citizenship. Finally, she filled out the paperwork, went through the process, went, took the test, did the ceremony, got the piece of paper, and she finally became Canadian citizenship. It was a small thing. It's been here for 40 years. It was a small thing, but it was also kind of a big thing. In the eyes of the Canadian government, it changed some, some things. You get some different privileges. You, you can do some things that you couldn't do before. You don't have to stop so long at the border when you're crossing. You know, things change, you know, it, it meant something. And the thing is that this citizenship from heaven is important to us as well. And, and the call here is in part to make our allegiance clear. Are you in or are you out? Because uh, straddling the fence and kind of being Christian-ish doesn't really get the job done. And, and the f- problem is, if you're not clear on where you stand and you haven't made that clear, then when those challenges come, often they can bog us down. And the, the compromise just seems that much bigger. One of the ways that you make your allegiance clear as a follower of Jesus Christ is through baptism. Through faith in Christ and Christ alone, we can be forgiven and accepted before a holy God. But faith is secret and unseen. It's, it's, it's invisible. I, I, I don't know what has transpired in a person's heart. F- baptism takes something that is secret and invisible and makes it binary. You've either been baptized or you haven't. It's not like I was kind of baptized or I was, I was going to sort of make... No, no, you're, you're either baptized or you're not. It, it makes it binary. Are you a citizen or are you kind of still thinking about it? Church membership does something very similar. It says not, I I believe in the universal church. I, I, I believe in the concept of a church, church in the abstract. No, through church membership, you say, I believe in this church. I'm committed to this body of believers. I'm, I'm in and I can be counted on. It's a simple thing. It's not a, it's not a big thing in one sense, but like the citizenship, it kind of 
makes clear what could have been unclear. And that clarity with regard to our allegiances is something that often God uses to give us strength to endure when those tests would come. Now, I started talking this, uh, this morning about Florence May Chadwick. And some may have thought, boy, she got, out of that, got into the boat and gave up on that swim. That was so disappointing. And some people may have concluded, boy, she was kind of a, of a quitter. That's unfortunate. Well, Florence May Chadwick was a remarkable individual. And two months later, she got back in the water. She went back to Catalina Island, and she determined that she was going to swim again. She swam, uh, unfortunately, as she made her second attempt, halfway through her swim this time, that same ugly, murky fog settled in. It came upon her and, again, couldn't see, just couldn't see her way forward. This time, however, she decided, I'm pressing on. (laughs) Uh, She was perhaps prepared for the fact, I probably won't be able to see. And she pressed on, she continued swimming, and she eventually made it to the other side. When she made it there, however, people asked her, how did you get through that? You couldn't see where you were going. Like, it must have been so hopeless and discouraging to be, have your heart set on something, but you can't see it. How do you move forward? And she said the difference the second time was that I had in my mind a clear vision of the shoreline. She couldn't see it. But she fixed in her mind what that shoreline looked like and what it was that she was aiming towards. And for us as believers, there is so much of the Christian life that we can't see. And so we are called to not live by sight, but by faith. God calls us to lay hold of a goal and a prize that we can't see with our eyes, but we can lay hold of by faith. And so let's lay hold of that this, this morning in prayer. Let's lay hold with the conviction God has more for us. There is more blessing and there's more of the life of Jesus Christ that we have still to lay hold of. And let's lay hold of his encouragement that he's not done with us, that we might press forward and lean into the challenges that God would bring, that we might uh, enjoy the fullness of them on the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you haven't left us alone in this race. I thank you that there is still so much more for each one of us here this morning, so much more to experience in Christ, so many more blessings that we have yet to lay hold of. So help us to press forward. Help us to keep our eyes focused on the goal. And Father, help help our Help us to not let our minds get so absorbed in earthly things that we forget the heavenly calling and lose sight of where we're headed. I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning who's stuck, anyone who's in a fog and wants to get in the boat. Give them your strength to persevere. Help them to trust your path as they move forward. And would you gently lead them to the other side? For we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.